with your host, Tim Wilshere. It's Friday the 24th of January 2020. Uh, this is episode number 84 of From the Valley podcast, Brisbane Business Life. I've got uh, a guest with me today, uh, Simon Presley from Propertyology, Australia's number one fort leading property market analyst and award-winning buyer's agent. Welcome back again to the podcast, Simon. Thank you, Tim. It's always good to be back. I think this is the third time we've uh, had the pleasure of talking to your audience, so thank you. No, very certainly one of uh, my favourite uh, guests to have on the podcast, as you know. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't bring you back three times, uh, you know, a second time. Uh, so it's, it's great to certainly have you back. Happy New Year to you, and uh, hopefully 2020 is going to be a, a big year. I certainly think it will be. Um, generally speaking, I think the last five years in Australian real estate have been amongst the leanest in Australian history. But I uh, quite boldly will predict that I think the next five years will be certainly the best five years that Australia has seen since the um, the GFC way back in 2008. Before then, yeah. That's a very bold prediction, but uh, you, you obviously made some bold predictions before when it comes to property and uh, uh, obviously all the, you know, what I can say about uh, propertyology and Simon is the amount of research that uh, these guys actually put into the market and their articles and what they actually put out there and the truths uh, it's definitely um, fort leading, you know, th- there's a reason that you've considered a fort leader. Yeah, um, I guess when someone, our market is, you know, the everyday Aussie property investor, no matter where they live in Australia, and um, there's no such thing as a crystal ball, everyone knows that, but every investor would like to think that there is. Um, you know, I'm, I will never say that there is, and there's no guarantees in investing, but our objective is to try to join all the dots mm. um, to understand or get a, get a degree of confidence about where we should place our money or where we should not place our money. Yeah, so, um, and just to put you in perspective, so last week we had on the podcast, uh, we had, we had, we had uh, a good uh, friend of mine next door, Jeff Cumnick. Jeff Cumnick's a, a stockbroker, and we, we had this chat 12 months ago with him about you know, predicting the year ahead for, for 2019 yeah. at the time, and we had a bit of a discussion about the year gone and 2020 in the share market. Mm. Um, so he, he's the ex. Well, I consider him one of the, one of the people that you know one of many experts in in that space and and his analysis. And obviously, uh, the way you sort of look at the uh, property landscape in Australia, it is like a it's like a share market, but it's properties we're, we're talking about. Yeah, I'd say I, I often say to clients that investing in property, instead of buying shares in a company as a, as a stockbroker would do, we're buying shares in a community. Um, too often, property investors get absorbed in the bricks and mortar of the individual asset itself. Um, what has the biggest influence is not the individual property, it's the community that it sits within. Again, it's like a, a company on the stock exchange. So it's all those things that are, are going to influence the value of that company, if you like. I think um, one of the things I like, one of the things I want sort of 2020 to be sort of known for when, when we're sort of looking at the turn of the decade is the year of more of the community. Um, I'd like to see you know people be happier, friendlier, a lot less negativity. We're just seeing the last decade. It's sort of uh, one of the things you do see is a bit of a bit more of this negativity that's going on out there with the social media aspects. Uh, people putting you know shit on people like um, you know more recently with with Scomo when he you know sort of didn't sort of do absolutely everything that every you know anyone everyone else might you know anyone else may have done or perceived to have done. But you know it's a tough it's certainly a tough position being the the Prime Minister of Australia and 
you know, he's certainly uh, some people have tried, to, you know, some groups have tried to put him through the ringer as a result. Um, so the bushfire crisis, that's been quite interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's hopefully it's a learning experience as well, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, we, we, as, 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 as you know, it's community. The good, the good thing that we're seeing is, you know, I guess communities bounding, you know, trying to get together and, and help one another and we're even getting some support from overseas. So um, it's quite interesting. So with the bushfire crisis, Simon, um, it sort of, it does sort of leave a lot of, um, you know, I guess these areas that have been burnt to the ground do you think they sort of how, how do you think they'll sort of rebuild when it comes to um, uh, building properties in the future and stuff like that yeah and uh, that's a common that's a question I've had a lot over the last month since returning from the, from the Christmas break okay um, it's um, yeah terrible for those directly affected there's been, obviously been some lives lost there's been you know no what the latest count is a couple hundred properties um, you know have been been lost um, you know maybe maybe a thousand or so but um, so it's no good for for any of those but Human spirit is a, is a wonderfully powerful thing, um, and whether we like it or not, every single year without exception, there's natural disasters in more than one location somewhere in, in Australia. Um, yes. You know, our home city had that shocking flood in 2011, yeah. you know, one of the biggest floods in any city in Australia. Just over nine years ago. Yep, there's, bu- there's been bushfires over the summer, but there's been bushfires before, and there'll be bushfires again. But the human spirit is, is a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, uh, social media is a is a concern, uh, but we shouldn't underestimate the amount of revenue that will go into these communities and surrounding communities because of the bushfires that would not have been there before. They will be um, rebuilt. Um, and in some cases, um, whilst no one seeks to go through adversity, sometimes coming out of adversity, you become a lot stronger communities can can uh, redevelop in a better way than what they were before so tom will tell you that of course um but we're talking billions and billions of dollars um that will filter through communities um over and above what Mm. there would have otherwise been Mm. so i know you sort of you, you sort of fairly um you do a lot of research when it comes to the areas that you pick uh that uh, you'd like your uh, clients to sort of invest in. Obviously, you do a lot of research. Um, there's a lot of regional areas that uh, that you sort of invest in, as as you sort of alluded to before. You, there is a, a sense that some a lot of these regional areas are, you know, the stats show that uh, there's some really good, um, in you know, return on investments and growth area, you know, all that sort of stuff. So any of the sort of areas that were affected by the bushfires are areas that you sort of looked at fairly strongly as far as investing? No, none of the, none of the um, bushfire-affected areas had we invested in. But, you know, um, natural disasters, they don't, they're not picky. They, they just happen where they yeah. happen, don't they? Yeah. So they can yep. happen anywhere, um, whether it's a really big capital city. Yep. We're talking the Brisbane 11 floods. You know, Darwin's been wiped out with the Cyclone Tracy. Mm. Um, Sydney's, I think, officially still holds the record for the most expensive natural disaster. It was a hailstorm 20-odd mm. years ago. So um, natural disasters, they, they can happen anywhere. But fortunately, um, no locations that we've invested in uh, were affected by the bushfires. No, that's that's certainly um, good and a relief, I guess. But uh, as I said, it, they don't discriminate. A lot of the time, uh, right across everywhere in Australia, there could be any, you know, obviously more areas could be prone than others, but yeah, they don't discriminate too much. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the bushfire affected things, a lot of it's national park, mm. um, and the townships have been very very 
um, mm. small townships, you know, directly surrounded by, obviously, a lot of fuel. Yeah. Okay, so 2019, a bit of uh, this discussion in the podcast today is sort of a bit of a review um, over the last 12 months with property in particular uh, and, and obviously locations around Australia. What did you see in the last 12 months? Uh, tell us what, uh, if anything, surprised you or um, if you're sort of... If, if it was fairly much how you, you'd sort of envisaged it? Um, I don't think there's ever been a year in Australian history where we've had such contrasting halves in, in real estate. This time last year, and we were on the podcast, um, you know, chatting about this, um, it was absolute doom and gloom. Um, Sydney and Melbourne were in complete freefall, those property markets. Um, Hobart was roaring and a few other capital cities were achieving mild growth but there was concern if you remember this time last year that there was a federal election not far away Uh, I think it was odds on that um, there'd be a change of government which we all then knew there'd be a whole heap of new, new taxes and none of us knew how that might affect things. I don't think anyone was excited about it. No, we certainly weren't excited enough, otherwise we'd, we would have had a change of government. <laughs> yeah, but what happened in, in addition to that in the first half of 2019, Tim, is that it, almost no one could get a loan. Whether you're a yeah, first home buyer, yeah. a property investor, an owner-occupier that wanted to upsize or downsize, a renovator, no one could get credit. And w- of course, before you buy property, before you can buy the asset, you must buy the liability. Um, so in the first half of 2019, there was none of that happening and, and property markets uh, were not good um, but right smack bang in the middle of the year there was a surprising uh, for most a surprising election result and then within a month the Reserve Bank had um, uh, wet their powder for the first time in three years and cut interest rates uh, APRA had put their hand up and said uh, we've overshot with tightening of credit we recognize that um, we're going to be a bit more realistic about it. We ended 2019 as as strong as um, you know Australian real estate in a, in a broad national sense has been for for some time. So I think we're starting 2020 with a lot of momentum. Mm. Yeah, I mean obviously the that's and that was sort of unexpected as you said because uh, if we had a different election result, it's hard to know what uh, how that sort of would have would have sort of taken up in that uh, July to December six-month period in particular, how that would have sort of gone. Uh, obviously, the share market, uh, as, as we alluded to last week on the podcast, would be massive, fairly massive increase from start to finish in, in, in 2019, So, uh, which is surprising in a way. And, um, yeah, it's it, a lot of these things are getting fully priced. Um, and when it comes to real estate, I mean, what are you, what are you seeing? Is, is it good value at the moment to, to, to invest or... What what do you see if someone if you, you know, if your clients are talking to you at the moment, what are you telling them as far as the timing to invest? Is it you obviously is there is there obviously some uh, you know spots that are right for the picking right now? Um, in a country as big as Australia, eight states and territories, eight capital cities, and we've got one hundred and seventy seven non-capital city locations that have a population of ten thousand people or more. So we are littered with more choices than arguably any country on the planet. With that in mind, it's always a good time to invest in real estate. The key question for everyone who likes property should never be when, it's where. Mm. It's the biggest mistake that all property investors make. They're creatures of habit. Um, When they do uh, um, choose to invest in property, they typically toss up suburb A from suburb B, but they never wander out of their own city. Mm. Um, Now, with with all those locations I said, Mm. in total, 185 um, capital and non-capital locations – 
um, you'd have to be a complete fluke um, for your home city to be the best of 185. So it's always um, it's always a good opportunity. But um, I, what I expect in 2020 is most locations in Australia to perform well, as happens in every year. Some will perform better than others. But three interest rate cuts in the space of five months in the back half of 2019. And possibly more to come. I, I think so. Um, if not in if not in February, um, highly likely in March, and anything's possible whether there's another one in the, in the second half of the year. But so what, what the Reserve Bank do this because they want to stimulate the economy. And they also do it because they know it happens. There's, there's decades and decades of proof um, that when there's consecutive cuts to um, the RBA cash rate, um, the, the primary intention of that is to stimulate the economy. But whenever an economy is stimulated, people spend, including on property. Mm. Um, so it, to me, it's an absolute lock that mm. 2020 will be a strong year for Australian real estate. But investing in property is not something that anyone should do for a couple of months or even a couple of years. It's a long-term It's a longer-term yeah. thing. And so what I call – this stimulus is what I phrase as a sugar fix. Mm. It's not sustainable energy. No. Um, and, the, and the most recent test case for this was uh, coming out of the GFC – you know, just over 10 years ago, we had the famous stimulus package. Mm. That's the equivalent of the Reserve Bank cutting interest rates, mm. you know, several times in a short period of time. That was 2010. Every property market in Australia pretty much performed well in 2010. But in 2011, eight out of eight capital cities declined. Mm. Uh, a couple of years after that, a few capital cities started a boom. Mm. So we can learn from this stimulus now in 2020 and anticipate good growth right throughout Australia, but decisions should not be made on that. They should be made on what are the individual fundamentals of each location in Australia. And that's not Sydney and Melbourne that are top of the tree, Mm. in my opinion. Um, I still think Hobart has hands down the best fundamentals of our capital cities. I think uh, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth um, are the next likely to have a um, a growth cycle, primarily because they haven't had one for a long period of time. Mm. Um, but what they all lack, including our home city, is private sector job creation. And until that happens, um, they'll be mediocre performers. Mm. Um, it's non-capital city locations, and I'm not saying every one of them, but it's the non-capital city locations that have the tight housing supply, have the local confidence, and have the job creation. So if we think about the last three years... Outside of um, Hobart being the best-performed capital city, the other best-performed markets in all of Australia uh, include locations like Ballarat, uh, like Ballarat, Orange, yep. Orange in New South Wales, like yep. Launceston I've in, got, in, in uh, Tasmania. Yeah, I've got some clients that are living in Orange, actually, so it's, it's sort of going okay there. Yeah, so these are locations that Propertyology describes as a mini-capital city. So yeah. what I mean by that is they've got everything that a capital city's got. They're a city of substance. They're not a tiny country town. Yep. They've got a diverse economy, all the essential infrastructure. They've got housing affordability in spades. Yep. Their economies are strong. Mm. So what that means is local confidence is strong. That mm. means that job creation is, is occurring. Mm. Uh, people are coming off the dole queue and, in, and into the labour market. Yep. People are getting wage growth. Um, and others are relocating from somewhere else in Australia to these communities. All those things put mm. pressure on property prices. So um, the, the locations I named there I think will do well again in 2020. Mm. Um, 
but there'll be some other locations um, right throughout Australia, including Queensland, that I think will start their cycle in, in 2020. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's a pretty good uh, analysis there. I think. Um, I, I guess. Uh, I guess. It w- Anything else that sort of surprised you at all in 2019, or was that pretty much? Um, I have never seen mm. credit um, as ridiculously tight as mm. that was. And I don't think, um, and this isn't a criticism, the broader Australian public don't understand the importance of credit mm. to a household, to a, to a city council budget, mm. to a state government mm. budget, to a federal budget, to a broader economy. Mm. There's only two ways that money's produced, and that's what an individual earns mm. and that's what an individual borrows. Mm. But if we don't spend it, mm. all the all the various goods and services um, within a community don't have enough re- revenue coming through their till to provide jobs. Um, so when you turn one of those taps off, which is what APRA did, mm. you, you essentially have the money going, you know, going through um, the cash registers. So uh, that, that has never been tighter um, than what we saw in 2018 and 2019. And obviously a little bit of relaxation toward the end of the calendar year, I guess, a little bit there to, to get it, things rolling again. Uh, did you find that affected your uh, clients a bit as well, the ones that – because obviously you look at your clients, they obviously – they're in a position where they're, they're ready to sort of invest in these, you know, growth potential um, affordable properties. Yeah, so what we saw a lot of um – we never have any issues getting clients, mm. um, but it's frustrating for them and us um, yeah. Yeah. when when they want to do something, you know, um, proactive for their future. Yep. They want to invest. Uh, they've got a good credit rating. They've got a stable income. They yep. know that they can afford to invest. We know they can afford to invest. Yep. Um, but the system was just so ridiculously tight mm. that a number of people, uh, responsible borrowers who should have got approved, just could not. Yep. get approved now fortunately sanity has has prevailed mm. um and you know those same people applying for credit now will, will get approved as they always should have been yeah no that's 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 great um one, one thing that i guess um i mean obviously you've, you've had some cyclic changes mainly you know sydney up and down up you know over those last few years but in brisbane been very flat um but one thing that's hasn't been most industries, the wages growth hasn't been there, mm. um, and wages growth needs to sort of happen if, if property prices are to rise consistently. Otherwise, people can't afford to, to um, in a, in a in a world where um, you know the price of a lot of stuff keep, does go up, um, in, including property. It's uh, it, it's probably a reason we've we've seen uh, we you know we haven't seen price property prices double really anywhere the last if you look over the last twelve or thirteen years it hasn't really doubled. Um, but uh, there is that on the horizon. There's that op- there's that chance where it could sort of get a bit of a bit of momentum. Um, if you're looking at you know history and cycles and that type of thing, um, do you see sort of wages growth being you know something that's going to get a bit of momentum you know in the coming years or what do you think? I think happen? it has to happen soon. Um, mm. But you know a lot of us and certainly the RBA you know wants the answer and, uh, more than anybody. Yeah, people would like to know when. But of course it's one of those things we are talking about the future and yeah. you can't press a button. No one no one can tell you when. Mm. Um, I think on average Australian wages have grown by about two percent per yeah. annum for what is it four or five years or whatever it is. So there has been. Wage growth, but but not not what people yep. would like. Yes, um, on on the other side of the um, 
the ledger though, interest rates have dropped significantly. So even yeah. you know the average household, even yep. if they had zero wage growth, if they had a mortgage, technically yep. they had more disposable income in their pocket um, uh, because their their interest expenses for some people have reduced significantly. And that's that's the RBA's role, um, you know, in doing their bit, I guess, to try to stimulate the economy. The the economy has. Um, well, so I guess over the last six and six to twelve months, a lot of the economic data that um, the ABS releases has been showing a negative trend. So whether it's an unemployment rate or retail spending or building approvals, all these things that um, you measure an economy by, um, a lot of that, you know, um, as the next month's data rolls out, has been a decline on previous months. But most, if not all, of that is related to credit. That the money wasn't filtering through the system, so of course it's going to affect everything. So, propertyology remains uh, quite bullish about the outlook for the economy. I'm not talking about the next six months. I'm talking about two, three years ahead. Yeah. Um, because I've felt that the underlying fundamentals of the national economy have been really good for some time. Um, the negative uh, economic data at the moment is is a direct link mm. to credit. And now that they have addressed credit. I think as 2020 unfolds, Tim, we'll start to see yeah. some positive trends. Yeah. So um, what's, what sort of reminded me, um, which I had uh, in recent, some recent things that have sort of come through the industry, um, you've been obviously fairly, fairly sort of outspoken when, in relation to uh, the, the sort of landlord rules that are be coming in at a national and probably at a Queensland level. Uh, sometimes the states are a bit different from one state to the next, but the focus, I guess, um, that you've sort of taken up with the REIQ has been Queensland's proposal. Do you want to sort of tell us a bit about that and where that where that sort of lobbying has got to at the moment? Yeah, so I mean, from time to time, whether it's at a state level or a federal level, but mm. um, if, if there's a, a proposal to change something that's going to directly affect the property sector, that, that, that affects our business and um, and I'm not saying that affects our business in a selfish sense. Um, our role all day, every day, is to study property markets nationally. So when someone proposes to change something, some mm. bureaucrat somewhere whose role is not to be an expert in the property field, um, we see it as an opportunity to, I guess, show some leadership yep. within the national property sector, look at whatever they're proposing, and then as professionals in the field, try to interpret what that will mean. Now, specific to Queensland, the Queensland State Government, um, as are several other state governments, um, are proposing, they'll call, they use the term reform. Um, I, I call it rubbish. Um, but they are proposing some changes to tenancy mm. laws um, and very ill-considered changes, um, you know, in, in our view. Um, so we're on the same page of the, as the REIQ in that respect, and of uh, you know late last year, and, and I'm sure we'll continue early this year, trying to communicate with the broader Australian public, whether you're an investor, whether you're a renter, to make them understand this is what it means in a practical sense, and this is yep. why we don't think it's good. Um, the main changes include it's really loaded uh, in the tenants' favour, and uh, I'm not yep. anti-tenants at all. Mm. Um, but if you if you take too much power away from the asset owner mm. and give it to the tenant, mm. the problem with that is you will upset in a big way a lot of the asset owners to the mm. point that some will say, mm. "I don't like this. Yeah. I won't tolerate this. Mm. I will sell my property. I'm not going to. I'm not going to participate yeah. in this environment." Now, if that happens, that hurts the tenant mm. because there'll be less rental supply, mm. and the, and it will hurt the tenant by way of 
um, significant significant increases in rents. I think right throughout Queensland, um, we're going to see some significant rental increases in 2020 and maybe for quite some time. Yeah, and that pushes prices up as well a little bit. Uh, if, if the if the rent's going to go up, then obviously the, there's a better return when it comes to the yields potentially. So push up the prices a little bit. Um, but yeah, these sort of laws are sort of coming in around uh, our part of the world. I think New Zealand, there's some similar stuff going on there. Um, a lot of landlords there, they just don't like pets. They don't, you know, they don't want, uh, or even here, um, you know, they don't want pets ruining their investment and, yeah. or kids or, you know, lots of different factors there that um, certainly, you know, I guess the the asset owner wants to have the, the control over how things are going to work and and live under their sort of terms. So, so it makes sense that they, you know, they don't want to be sort of discouraged by these changes, especially when it leaves them, you know, not being able to look after their property the way they want to look after it. Um, yeah, and we, and we look, it's a fundamental democratic right, isn't it? If you own something, whether it's the shirt on your back, mm. the car you drive, or mm. a property, if you, if you own it, mm. um, the own, that you've gone... Yeah, you've made a financial sacrifice to buy it, mm. and it is only only fair and democratic that mm. you determine uh, if someone else can use it and yep. how and how they use it. So, um, the, the the rental again, they use the word reform, um, yep. but it, it's largely taking away some of those basic democ- democratic ownership rights and sort of saying, well, no, you you can't have this say anymore, even though you've bought it, even though you have the risk. Of the debt, mm. um, if there's a damage to the property, you have the insurance risk, mm. um, you know. But they're sort of giving all that responsibility to the to the tenant. That's mm. um, it's really not good. And and mm. if you think of all the other things, I mean, renting a ho- hiring a hotel, hiring a car, mm. um, a business hiring a premises, um, it's no different to um, a residential property. That relationship between the tenant. And the landlord, there's a legal agreement mm. um, which gives um, a party use of an asset for a defined period of time at a defined price, um, and they've got to look after it. Mm. Uh, they can do modifications, but they've mm. got to get permission. Mm. And part of the legislation is proposing that the tenant, uh, in some cases, can do um, modifications to a property without permission. Mm. I think the the, t- the pet thing has been poorly handled. Um, I do think there's a lot of landlords out there that it's more the fear of the unknown with pets. Mm. Um, in a lot of cases, um, uh, you know, really good responsible tenants with mm. good pets, um, their application might be knocked on the head by mm. a landlord, but that's just the fear of the unknown. So the way that I think to address that, Tim, is not to legislate, is to communicate. Mm. If you just come down with a, with a heavy law... Um, that says no. Now a landlord doesn't have a right to refuse a tenant because they've got a pet, which is what's been proposed. Mm. There will be a lot of landlords that will say, I, "I don't know what horse they've got there, or some massive dalmatian, mm. or someone's mm. going to ruin my carpets or curtains." There will mm. be landlords that will sell. I think mm. the way to address this is um, uh, stronger engagement between landlords and tenants. Mm. Um, and help the landlord understand yep. that there are an increasing number of good tenants out there, mm. that a pet is part of their life. Mm. But but that doesn't mean every tenant application needs to be approved. Mm. As a landlord myself, I have approved a number of tenants with, with a pets, pet. Yep. 
but I go through a process to get an understanding of the nature of the pet and whether they've you know been in rental properties before and whether there's been any damage caused, yep. and, and then if I get confidence there, I'll give them a go. Yep. Six months or something like that, I'll mm. give them a go. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of not how it's been uh, proposed. Yeah. So what's um, I haven't really I haven't sort of done my research as to how um, say Deb gets in uh, the LNP um, at the next state election. What's their sort of uh, response to these changes when it comes to these proposed changes? Um, so my understanding is the um, Queensland opposition government, the LNP, have given the RIQ a pledge of sorts um, that if they get elected in October um, that, that they, they don't support the uh, current proposals of the existing state government. Yeah, okay. No, I haven't sort of read too much on that, so I just wanted to, see, to get your uh, analysis. I think the whole thing's fascinating. Mm. Like, Australia is a country that's 230 years old, so it's not rocket science to have a... Uh, a relationship between a tenant and a, and a landlord of any mm. of any type of asset, yep. really. This is not new. Um, I, I question whether any great reforms are needed. Humans are, mm. have always been humans, mm. haven't we? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, don't I always get little things, you know, in the in in my sort of uh, line of professionally, you know, with with tax changes, we always have to keep on top of that. And there's always new proposals out there, you know, to keep your keep your eye on it. And then you have, you know have the uh, politicians of the world trying to say they're going to do this and that. So uh, quite interesting. So just some uh, smaller property markets I just wanted to get your opinion on perhaps. Uh, they're probably ones that you don't invest in because you're sort of you looking at uh, more growth areas, I guess, a lot of the time, um, growth, affordability and that sort of thing. So that, that's the focus. But the ones at the sort of upper end of the echelon, the top end of the, the as far as expensive properties in Australia concerned with, I'm talking Byron Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byron Bay, I think I've read, is as expensive as Sydney. Yeah, uh, Byron so Bay why is... Why is that so expensive? And is it is it because it's just the stock is so low and it's just a, a, you know, a holiday sort of location that not many people get... It's you know it's tightly held. What what is it? Yeah, um, the real estate world is full of all sorts of fascinating stats, including Byron Bay. So so Byron Bay is uh, ranked number seventy three in Australia in terms of total population size. It's their seventy third yeah, largest so town, 30, town or, or something. It's not big. Um, but it is officially Australia's most expensive um, location in regards to median house price. Um, yep. So it was about eighteen months ago now that Byron Bay surpassed Sydney as officially Australia's most expensive. What what's behind it? It's all. But as, as is with every location in Australia, it's always an economic story. Um, there's a lot of um, people living in Byron Bay, um, the median household age is higher than the national average, but, no, but by no means a retiree mm. um, place. It's a lot of, a lot of people in their um, late 40s, early 50s, so in the prime of their sort of working life and income earning capacity, um, then a lot of cases haven't always lived in Byron Bay. Mm. Um, they've, they've lived in other parts of Australia and been successful a, as an employer or as an employee and could afford to relocate to the beautiful lifestyle that Byron Bay offers, and that's really what's, uh, yeah. what's driven that. Combine that with the fact that tourism generally, it's been a worldwide tourism boom since 2012 it started, worldwide, and, and of course Australia has, uh, has benefited from that. Mm. The other the other locations, um, probably the most expensive location, perhaps, in all of Queensland is Noosa. Yeah, Noosa has officially been Queensland's best performed property market over the last five and ten years. Um, 
But you go back through Noosa's history, and it hasn't always done that. There's been plenty no. of times when Noosa's been at worst perform when tourism's down, yep. Noosa's down. But Queensland as a, as a whole state has been very underwhelming for um, more than a decade, real estate-wise, from the far north in Cairns all the way down to you know, the Gold Coast. Um, underwhelming performer. But Noosa has been Queensland's best. The main reason for that, um, Victorians, especially Melbournians, have always loved Noosa. Victoria's economy has been strong the last five years. Victoria's or Melbourne's property market has performed better than some other locations. Um, so when they holiday in in Noosa, um, you know they're spending they're spending money in the tourism trade and and the economy therefore in Noosa is better than some other parts of the state. Yeah, no, that's some good good answers there. Um, but yeah, I think Queensland, as you said, it's 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 a lot of it hasn't sort of it's, it, there are areas that have had their ups and downs and jumps but it usually doesn't go backwards too much it usually gets to a level then it goes flat gets to a level goes flat yeah um, that's true and that's because, that's the, the I guess the benefit of affordability of any location um, the more affordable a market is I guess the, you've got a solid floor yep. um, when a market has a downturn as um, you know, at the other extreme the Sydney and Melbourne's you know they've just finished their biggest downturn in 30 years and big values were wiped off the off um, median house prices because they were so high. Yeah, they got, um, they got too ridiculously high. That was a lot of the problem. Yes, but when a market is um, already very affordable, when there is a downturn, um, I'm not saying it can't lose value, but it tends to lose less well, value and, less, yeah. and more more likely goes flat. And mm. that's certainly been the case for, for Brisbane and much of Queensland for a good mm. part of the last decade. Mm. I guess is anything sort of changed as far as your, you know, your recommendations as to what sort of dwellings should be bought for investment. Uh, uh, you still, I mean, is any is any any of your specifics changed? Is it pretty much how you sort of explained it twelve months ago? With uh, you, you, you know, obviously houses, you know, certain size houses, certain blocks of land, good streets. Is anything that's changed that? No, that, the the most I, I can't stress it enough. The most important thing is hmm. the town or city. The yep. one buys Location, it. That, that yep. is always the most important thing. Suburbs do not boom or bust, um, contrary to what some data might say. Mm. Um, an individual town or city will either perform well or it won't perform well. Mm. Um, and then it's a matter of drilling down. I guess you're trying to get the extra, you know, one or two percent um, in regards to which property you buy on which street. So the asset selection part of it, Tim, um, it's not rocket science. Mm. Um, the non-negotiables for us is always. Is it low maintenance? Mm. Is it structurally sound? Mm. Don't get caught up in the aesthetics of a property. Um, don't don't listen to that little voice in the back of your head that might be saying, "I could see myself living here." Mm. Yeah. If you're not buying it to live in yourself, mm. that that little voice in the back of the head is not being helpful. It's being a hindrance. Mm. Uh, will someone want to live there? If it's structurally sound, if it's low maintenance, if it's neat and tidy, the mm. answer to that will be lots of people will want to live there. Whether you're one of those or not doesn't really matter. Mm. They're the non-negotiables. If something's really pretty, um, that often just means a really pretty price tag. Mm. Um, and the price you pay for it, if mm. you pay, you know, um, uh, you know, max value. In some ways, that probably diminishes the potential for growth because you've already got a premium price yeah, on already, it. It's already fully priced. Um, so, I mean, obviously, one of the things you obviously look at is, is you mentioned low maintenance, um, but uh, you're not really an advocate for buying, obviously, stuff that's new, stuff that's off the plan. Never, uh, ever buy new. Uh, House or apartment, Australia. never, ever buy new, no matter where it is. Yep. The purchase price is loaded from the outset. 
uh, 30 to 40% of whatever the first buyer pays of any brand new property is taxes. Mm. A whole heap of taxes that the developer has to pay mm. and passes on to the consumer. Never, ever, ever buy new if you're an investor. Yeah, as an investor. Yeah, definitely. I, I certainly, um, yeah, obviously agree with that because obviously... The, I guess the and the other the other argument to look at that is th- those sort of ones will go through a cycle, won't they? So they'll they'll drop in price uh, initially, they'll drop in price and they'll flatten out, whatever. They won't take they'll probably take a while before they sort of would would go up in value. Would you? Yeah. So I guess to use an analogy, imagine um, a different asset. Imagine it was a new car. Yeah. Uh, the brand new, um, you know, drive it out today, no one else has sat in it, got that beautiful new car smell, that might be $50,000 for that new car. The demo model, yeah. which is essentially brand new, but they've used it to test drive and it's got, a, you know, 500 k's on the, on the click mm. and they can't technically sell it as new. You, it is new though, isn't it? Yeah. You drive that out the lot and instead of paying 50 grand for it, you might be paying 37000 yeah. or well, That's tax. Mm. Um, you, you know, it's very similar to property. A brand new house or a brand new apartment somewhere that let's say you know the uh, the marketing arm of the developers um, trying to sell it for five hundred grand, some will pay five hundred grand. Mm. A comparable property that might be twenty years old might mm. be fifty years old. A comparable in terms of it's still a house, it's got the same number of bedrooms, it's in the similar sort of proximity. Mm. Um, that property today, someone might be selling it for four hundred grand mm. instead of five hundred grand. Um, that's a much better purchase. That 500 grand established property, mm. um, so the 400 grand established property than the 500 new one, mm. for a few reasons, you're paying 100 grand less. Mm. Um, fast forward 10 years' time, that brand new one, mm. the shine will be offered. Mm. It will then be, relatively speaking, the same as this um, current established one now. Mm. The so quality of um, new builds is poor as well. That's, yeah. a, that's an issue. Well, they need to certainly make sure they're. I mean, we're talking about an environment that's that uh, that changes. Uh, you know, you're talking about uh, you want sort of buildings to be sort of up to spec, uh, and have no issues if it's new. You know, you, there's no point being new if it's um, if you're not getting all the specs right in in 2020 uh, for when you're building these new developments. Because if they don't, if they're not built right, then you know, obviously they're not going to be able to pick up down the track as far as hold their value or anything like that. Um, I guess the where I sort of go there is that um, obviously a lot of those established houses after a while will get old at some point, um, and it's I guess how they sort of uh, fare, you know, with age. Um, uh, if the low maintenance, obviously that's great, but you know, like any property, you need to renovate to keep it up more up to date. When it, once it gets a bit old, so there's always those sort of factors to consider. Uh, for, for a lot of properties that are, that are, you know, once they sort of get past that 15, 20 year mark as far as age. Yeah, I, I guess it's important for people to remind themselves what is a property. It's, mm. it's steel, it's brick, it's mm. timber. Mm. There's nothing perishable in there. It's yep. not a computer. Mm. It's not a car with a motor in it that has a limited lifespan. Um, it is built of those non-perishable things. If you think of, uh, you know, countries throughout Asia and Europe, there, there are properties that are, centuries and centuries old yeah definitely. and frankly they, they should be right mm. um, the big change in this country uh, occurred in the very late 1990s uh, leading into the year 2000 quality control changed in this in this country um, properties built before then um, there was a there was more pride um, you know in our um, trade labor with what they built and there was less pressure 
on profit margins yep. unlike today. So they were built to last. Yep. Um, I've got an extensive portfolio of my own, and my oldest property um, is in Hobart. It's 110 years old. Wow. And I have had less issues with that property from a maintenance point of view, year in, year out, you know, phone calls from the property manager than plenty of other properties that might be, you know, 10, 15 years old. It's um, amazing, yeah. When, when it's built right, they should last for centuries. Yeah. Anything built anywhere in Australia in the last 20 years, unless uh, I'm talking the mass-produced stuff, it's different yep. if if you individually handpick your own builder and they build just your house, that's different. The mass-produced stuff is really, really poor quality, sadly. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, I, I do see you know, quite a bit of that and there's been some stories where you know whole, whole towers have had issues yep. when it comes to um, you know, uh, developments and stuff like that, which is, which is not good. I mean, you know, you, you, you sp- they spend a lot of money. There's a lot of money that goes into these, these um, developments and properties and profit as well on top of high costs. We uh, will hear for decades to come... Mm. There'll be, a, there'll be an era marked in Australia's history from roughly the year 2000 to including now. Mm. Um, in decades to come, we will be knocking down buildings. We will literally be knocking down buildings. We'll be knocking it's, down yeah, houses yeah. Um, in the mass-produced estates because they'll be in that bad a state of repair that mm. people won't be able to justify trying to fix them. They will just knock down 50-storey buildings because the and that's sad, isn't it? That is sad. Dis- disposable buildings is really, you know, what um, some of us in the sector are referring to them as because it's just poor quality control. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So that's uh, that's been a pretty good discussion in relation to what's, I guess, uh, some issues there that we're seeing when it comes to the property market in, in 2020. So let's have a bit of AFL talk. So the Lions, yep, they obviously, uh, you said they were going to do very well. You, you said it right at the, you know, 12 months ago. You said, look, Lions will make the eight. You actually said that. It's probably on the podcast if we listen closely enough. Um, and they did. You know, obviously, they were in the top two or three uh, after the, the regular games. Um, and obviously, in the finals, they obviously had some really close, well, a close game when they got eliminated, obviously, uh, from the GWS, I think it was GWS, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, Thanks for reminding me. Um, <laughs> and then obviously Richmond had their number a couple of times, but uh, but yeah, Richmond and Richmond they're the champions for a reason. So, but very impressed with what I saw with the Lions. They'll be able to bounce back and, and be top four again. Do you think? Uh, well, I certainly hope so. And I, I, I've got to admit, I didn't expect them to do as well last year as what they did. Um, yes, I was I, I was bullish and, and knew they would improve a lot, but um, technically they finished equal top. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the home and away round, uh, I, I didn't expect anywhere near that. Or I thought we'd be we would be there about uh, when it come finals time. But really excited. It just goes to show when you put whether it's um whether it's a sporting team, whether it's a whether it's a business, whether it's anything in life, if you put in mm. the hard work, um, that success will will inevitably come. And uh, mm. we didn't win a flag. Um, but uh, I think we well, they certainly made me very excited every every weekend, and can't wait. The season starts in twenty twenty. So you already got your season tickets, and uh... mate, I haven't um, I haven't missed uh, full membership since uh, about nineteen ninety one or something like that, and never will. Far out. That's like thirty years or something. Coming up to thirty years. <laughs> Nothing gives me more more joy each week than um, the Brisbane Lions. No, it's good. And it's not. I mean, when it, it sort of starts mid March to the end of March, doesn't it? So we still got a couple of months. About two more months until we get into that. Um, 
Yes. Yeah, so, uh, what about propertyology? What are you guys are you looking at doing much different in twenty twenty to what you have been doing in the past? As far as a business is concerned, are you are you sort of you you sort of growing in any particular area that's that's new? Well, I guess the thing we're looking for most um, about twenty twenty is for the first time probably since about two thousand and fifteen of just having a year of clear air. Mm. Um, you know, the, the last five years it's just been one. Um, one whack to the property sector after another. Um, you know the APRA stuff we've spoken, you know, a, a lot about already. That that wasn't one incident. That was no. several series of tightening. There was two federal elections in there, and both of them negative gearing um, was front and centre in the in the campaign. So the, 2020 is um, the first year for some time that we can just get on and do what every business wants to do. Yep. Um, uh, you know, practice your craft and 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 do good work for good for good people without all the um, the, the noise from the outside that you really can't control but but affects everything. So that's what we're looking forward to most. Um, we always love uh, uncovering new new locations, often very unsuspecting locations in various parts of Australia. Um, there's a few under our radar at the moment, but no decisions been made. But I, I'm sure there'll be probably at least two locations in 2020 that um, will give our official propertyology green light and and start helping people invest in. Mm. So obviously, 550 municipalities in Australia. I think that's the magic number. Yeah, there's a lot of choices. So a lot of choices, and uh, and obviously, as a percentage of those municipalities, you're really only sort of investing in less than six or seven percent of those, aren't you? Is that so? You're pretty. You obviously know you got the areas that you've sort of backed. Yeah, so over the last, uh, whatever it's been, 11, 12 years, something mm. like that, where we've invested in a total of 15 completely different 15. cities across five different states. Yep. Um, there, there literally is not so a... So it's only about 3%, isn't it? Yeah, but there, there's not a business anywhere in the country that's yep. invested in even half that yeah. many. So yeah. um, we're, we're proud of that. We consider ourselves to be a, a Australia's most experienced property yeah. investors. Yeah. Um, but there, as we've discussed on here before, there's a formula we go through. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a science to it. It's not an exact science. and never is investing. Mm. Um, but there is a science we go through it. But, um, yeah, it's an exciting outlook. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so 2020, um, I guess there's a few big things coming up this year that are going to affect things in a, at an Australian level. Uh, we're talking, obviously, um, the US election in November. And it's uh, you know it, 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 we could we don't know how it's going to go because we we've seen that as four to one uh, underdogs you know Trump won and also the Liberal Party won with the same sort of odds yeah uh, and even though Trump might be a slight favourite it's it's never a given is it and it's it's you can't sort of rely on one sort of you know one government over another can you it's it's and however that change. However, that sort of comes out will really have a big effect on the world, one way or the other. Um, po- possibly, um, who knows, really? Uh, but look, whether property or shares or anything for that matter, if someone's looking to invest and you're looking for a reason to yeah. not to do it, I guarantee you, every single year there'll always be something not to do it yeah. lo- like that. So, mm. uh, if you live your life, um, you know, worrying um, about that sort of stuff, you'll never actually. Do anything. Um, th- those sort of, I guess we call them the macro things. Yeah. They tend not to affect property. The biggest yeah. influence on on property markets, um, you know, is, is, is not. Right, yeah. uh, you know, 
Trump and whatever he does can have a big impact from day to day on a, on a share price mm. um, because shares tend to respond to sentiment a lot. Yep, um, exactly. The biggest influence on, on property markets are more at a local individual yep. city yep. level and how Definitely, its individual yep. economy is. Um, so, I mean, there could be a knock-on on, on, on something with, uh, with Trump um, if, whether it's him or somebody yeah. else, if there are uh, changes with trade agreements with other other countries and then how does that um, roll on to affect Australia yeah. um, and then drill down and there could be yeah. different parts of the country that that yeah. could affect but not it doesn't really affect us yeah uh, I guess the Queensland state election is this year as well and uh, how do you think the what do you think is going to happen going forward with the Queensland economy because uh, there's obviously been uh, it's, it's been you know some of the reason things have stagnatized a bit as well, it's certainly not everything, but it is always a factor. Um, what? How do you see the Queensland economy changing over yeah. the coming years? The biggest frustration I have with my role is, you know, to you can't analyse property markets without, unfortunately, following politicians because they have such an influence um, on the economy with the decisions that they make. Um, I don't respect many of them to tell you the truth, whether they're uh, Liberal, Labor, Nationals, whatever, state, federal. But uh, yes, we've got a. We've got a state election in Queensland this year and the outcome is, I think, going to have a significant impact on whatever Queensland property prices do um, for the years following that. It is the number one reason why um, right across the state of Queensland property markets have been underwhelming for a decade. Our economy mm. has been underwhelming. So those in, um, in power of managing that um, clearly haven't, uh, haven't done a good job. The, the Queensland unemployment rate has been above the national average for 11 years now. Now, I don't know about anyone else who lives in Queensland, but I am sick to death um, of being an also-ran in a state that I, um, not just because I live here, I seriously believe we've got enormous potential. There's Especially enormous opportunities to... here. But those who are sitting in the driver's seat need to be the right people. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, the unemployment, yeah, you're right, should be a lot better. In, in overall Queensland, obviously there are lots of different little markets, as you said, lots of different cities anyway that have, have their own little effect on that. I mean, you obviously got your Kansas, your Townsville's, your Mackay's, your Rockies, your Gladstones, your Chinchillas, Toowoombas. Yeah, Queensland's are the most decentralised state in Australia. Uh, There's actually less people living in in, uh, in the state's capital of Brisbane uh, than in regional Queensland. That's very unique to Queensland. Mm. Um, there are lots of uh, official ABS data supports this, that lots of people living in other states um, want to, and in fact some already have, relocated to Queensland. We, we attract people, mm. um, but without the job creation, the, the, we won't attract as many as what we could. Mm. Um, and those already living here, of course, their own lifestyles won't be as good as what they could if, if, mm. the, um, if the economy was strong. Interstate migration in, into Queensland has been really high for the last three or four years now. In in a normal sense, if we look mm. back through history, when Queensland's um, interstate migration is at a high level, Queensland property markets are high. Mm. It hasn't happened mm. um, this time round because the main reason that Queensland has attracted this interstate migration has been more the Sydney and Melbourne being really expensive, that they've squeezed some people out of that state. Yep. Uh, in the past, when Queensland interstate migration was high, it was because our economy was strong and people are relocating here for the jobs. Um, that that hasn't happened. The opportunities that have been missed in this state, um, but it's not too late to do something yeah. about it. Tourism, the outlook is fantastic, mm. but nothing in life happens without 
you know, doing something to earn it. Mm. Um, if we've got our act together in the tourism space, um, Queensland economy, Queensland's property markets will do really well. Um, agriculture, uh, Australia is Asia's food bowl. Yeah, it is. Queensland's a massive landmass. We get more annual rainfall than most, if not all, other states. If we invest in some uh, some irrigation to be able to capture that water instead of it all running out of the ocean, just imagine what our wonderful farmers could do when they've yep. got um, quality water supply. So. Yep. Uh, fair enough. I think uh, we might have to just uh, pretty much call it uh, a podcast, but it's been great to have you back uh, on the podcast again in 2020. It's uh, Australia Day around the corner on Sunday. Are you doing anything this long weekend? Casual long weekend with the family. Um, we'll put the barbecue on, uh, not because it's Australia Day, though, because we, <laughs> we, we tend to do that most, most days uh, any day. I love Weekends, a good barbecue. Yeah. yeah, the kids are getting older, obviously. Last time I saw them, they were getting certainly growing up a bit, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Great, we start grade eight on uh, what is it Wednesday? Oh, wow! Yeah, lots of households are going to be uh, back to school next week, aren't they? Yeah, so it's going crazy. You, you, you just you don't want to go to near bloody the supermarkets or office works or fucking. <laughs> I know my wife was complaining the other day that it was just uh, it was full of kids and bloody <laughs> full of mothers and kids and. Well, one of my gorgeous wife's best qualities is she's very organised, and all that, all the school stationery stuff she she probably organised probably December, before Christmas. So, um, yeah, wonderful lady. Yeah, she knows. She knows. Uh, yeah, very, very particular, and obviously a credit to not only um, you know obviously very important to have someone like that uh, helping out propertyology and its its direction as well. Uh, but uh, certainly, as I said, being great to have you on the podcast. We'll certainly get this uploaded uh, later on this afternoon. Share it around. Let's see if we can keep number one. Uh, it's it's amazing that uh, in the podcast we did episode number twenty three last year that was we're up to eighty four now um, it's it's still number one with eighty two listens so we'll be interesting to see how many we can get for this one but yeah it uh, share it around and get it out there so obviously you've got a fairly busy time ahead coming up you got to you got to go do a few um, obviously talk to some of the uh, contacts that you sort of do a bit of media with and. That sort of thing. You got you got some of that stuff coming up. Yeah, my roles uh, evolved quite um, interestingly over the last few years. I think I spend as uh, nearly as many hours uh, each week um, with media commitments as I do heading spreadsheets and that sort of stuff, analysing property markets around the country. But um, uh, there's no day that's uh, not interesting. I'll, I'll have to say, have to admit that. Yeah, so you're still using, I guess, is it, you're using Excel or you've developed your own programs to lo- a lot of this sort of analysis? Oh, no, you can't. I, can't, I don't think you can beat, um, beat Excel, but um, <laughs> it, you're forever discovering more things you can you can do with it. And uh, look, I've lost count. We'll probably have hundreds of spreadsheets with all sorts of um, uh, stuff in there. Excellent. No, it's, it's You're a credit to the industry. Uh, you, you're obviously very well known. You, you get your uh, propertyology is very well marketed around the place. You're very well marketed as far as an expert researcher, an expert in, in when it comes to the property in Australia. Uh, it's a great friendly website. You've got a lot of followers. You know, all, all I can say is wish you all the best in 2020 and beyond. Um, we hope to probably have you back on the podcast one day, you know, somewhere down the track as well. Look forward to that. Hopefully when we're, we're talking next time, we're, uh, we're saying Queensland locations uh, have just had a great year. Yeah, that would be fantastic uh, if that's... I think it, it's bound to happen at some point, um, but yeah, it needs to have the right have the right sort of mixture for the the cake to sort of bake properly. I think, and it's uh, the, the, some of the mixtures they've had in that uh, that have gone into that oven, uh, the cakes come out wrong. So anyway, 
all the best and uh, you have a great uh, weekend and a great 2020. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Tim.